From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon. It's Wednesday, July the 20th. It's summer and it's hot. President Biden says if Congress won't act, he'll do something to address the heat. So let me be clear. Climate change is an emergency. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to use the power I have as president to turn these words into formal, official government actions through the appropriate proclamations, executive orders, and regulatory power that a president possesses. That was President Biden earlier this afternoon in Somerset, Massachusetts, trying to kindle support for the left's green agenda. We're going to talk about that today. We're also going to talk about the fact that only 1% of voters in a recent New York Times poll said climate change was the most important issue. To most Americans, the clear and present dangers are record-setting inflation rates and record energy prices. The reality is the president's continued pursuit of a Green Deal would actually cost Americans even more money. Right now, Washington Democrats are frustrated by the pace of the radical green transformation they envision for our country. They're having trouble getting enough senators to agree to make the most reliable and abundant forms of American energy more expensive for working Americans. That was Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell today. Indiana Senator Mike Braun joins us for a discussion on the green, not only on climate issues, but on his measure to actually balance the nation's budget. The Senate will be voting on that this evening. We'll also talk with Myron Ebel, director of the Competitive Enterprise Institute Center for Energy and Environment, about what President Biden might be able to pursue through executive action. Also, Andy McCarthy joins us to talk about the dangers of the, emergency de- the use of emergency declarations and the increasing use of executive power, all designed to circumvent the lack of legislative consensus. And you remember this historic summit earlier this month on the threat from communist China? The most game-changing challenge we face comes from the Chinese Communist Party. It's covertly applying pressure across the globe. This might feel abstract, but it's real and it's pressing. We need to talk about it. We need to act. That was MI5 Director General Ken McCallum on July 6th in the first ever joint address between MI5 and the FBI. There certainly has been a lot of talking among politicians in the U.S. about the threat from communist China, but Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota says it's time to act, and he joins us a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And on the heels of Speaker Pelosi's House vote to codify the redefinition of marriage by the court back in 2015, Democrat leader Chuck Schumer says the Senate is next. I want to bring this bill to the floor, and we're working to get the necessary Senate Republican support to ensure it would pass. Well, will there be the support in the Senate? We're going to talk about that. We'll talk with Wisconsin Congressman Glenn Grothman about it, as well as the State Department giving grants to promote atheism. That's right, the State Department using your tax dollars to promote atheism. We're going to talk about that. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of information there for you, so be sure and visit TonyPerkins.com. And it's time to register for this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, which will be held at the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, September the 14th through the 16th. A great lineup of speakers, as usual. To find out more, go to prayvotestand.org summit. Today's word, coming from the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, 
It's found in Psalm 55. It's verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. What a promise. You know, David, betrayed by someone close to him, which put his very life in danger, knew where to turn to the Lord. To join us in this journey through the Bible, you can find out more by going to frc.org slash Bible. Despite the, one, the 9.1% inflation rate that is giving every American a steep de facto pay cut, President Biden is currently working on climate and energy policies that will only make our economy worse. The country hasn't had a balanced budget in more than 20 years. And in President Biden's first year in office, the government spent $2.8 trillion, that's with a T, more than they collected, contributing to our current national debt of more than $30 trillion. Joining me now to discuss a plan that he's drafted to get the government back to a balanced budget without raising taxes is Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. He serves on five Senate committees, including the Senate Committee on Budget and Senate Committee on Appropriations. Senator, welcome back to the program. Good to be back on, Tony. So you have a plan that would balance the budget, meaning we would not be spending more than what we're taking in without raising any taxes. How do you plan on doing that? That is true. It keeps the Trump uh, tax cuts in place uh, from December of 2017. That's driven Main Street uh, through small businesses and been really behind that strong economy. And here, I want to make it so easy, Tony, that nobody at least a Republican, can say no to it. Because 10 years, it takes what we used to categorize as discretionary spending. In other words, where you had to budget, where you had to appropriate, we're going to put it back there from mandatory. The gimmick here has been to put everything on autopilot, just like our entitlements, Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, and a host of others. And you know why? That takes it out of the budgeting and appropriating the roll up your sleeves that you need to do to make sure you're spending money correctly. It's now manifested itself into trillion and a half dollar deficits annually. Joe Biden, his blueprint for the country is in 10 years to be 45 trillion dollars in debt. In other words, 1.5 trillion average over the next 10 years. What a business plan for future generations, our kids and grandkids. It's shameful. Now, Senator, uh, to be clear, your proposal would not cut defense spending. You're going to continue to defend the nation. Wouldn't cut Medicare, no. Medicaid, or Social Security. So you protect those things that, um, you know, have been essential in the past. And so it's just all these things that you say that have been put on autopilot, really that's kind of in many ways, if I can say it, it's political. Because you don't have to, you can shield yourself from the political realities of having to make hard decisions. This puts it back into the, to the Congress that has the purse strings to make prudent decisions that will keep our nation strong economically, but also strong from a, from a national defense standpoint. It does it with an amount of $375 billion, which is just basically half of what has been moved to mandatory spending. So it's not going to be real draconian. And it gives you 10 years to figure out how to whittle that down to zero. That doesn't mean we shouldn't take on reforming Social Security and Medicare. Those are the two biggest drivers of our structural deficits. But I didn't want it to be confusing. I want those numbers to still be out there. And yes, we need to take them on because the Medicare trust fund 
goes completely broke in four years. And we've been paying into it, employers and employees since the 60s. Social Security, actuarially, we've known it for decades, goes broke in about 10 years. We still need to address them if we're going to get to a place where we start paying off debt. This brings us in 10 years to where we are running a surplus other than the interest payment. And sadly, with all the debt already in the system, that'll be close to a trillion dollars, which will equal defense spending and discretionary spending each. So we got a lot of uh, work to do beyond this. This is just to put a platform out to where we started and to where it'd be hard to see why a Republican would say no. Senator Brown, the, the reality is if we don't do something, as you just pointed out, on the interest alone that we owe on the debt, if we continue to see under this administration the policies that are driving inflation, raising interest rates to try to get that inflation under control, we're not going to be able to service our debt as a nation. No, and as a snapshot right now, you can make the argument, well, it's not that bad. But if you look at where we are now, versus just 20 years ago, we are the second most indebted country in the world of a fairly large economy. Only Japan exceeds us. They are the third largest economy in the world and have had trouble growing it because they built debt into their system so aggressively. And a 1% interest change on every trillion dollars is 100 billion. 30 trillion Every 1% interest change is $300 billion. And interest rates, the Fed said they're going to take up maybe one, two, three points to whip inflation. Look what that will do. Uh, it is really starting to get scary how all this adds up. Everybody here shrugs it off. It's no big deal. Well, I want to ask you about that, Senator, because you're, you, you've owned businesses, started out as a small businessman, have a, actually a pretty successful large business. Uh, before entering into the, uh, the the Congress, into the Senate. Is there an understanding of the significance that this poses to America and to our future? I mean, ju not just from a standpoint of being a ball and chain on our economy, but from a standpoint of national security. And that uh, was a little prophetic by uh, Admiral Mike Mullen, who distilled it very simply. I fear the red ink more than I do the red menace. And he would have been a national security expert and, you know, was part of the top brass in the military. So yes, even from places like the military, they're worried about what it does to keep this country secure. And yes, as you become feeble financially over time, you can't do the number one thing we ought to be doing, defending the country. Uh, you can't invest in infrastructure and you certainly can't make your entitlements that I think most people would like to see in healthy shape, they need to be reformed. Why don't we try to do those three things without borrowing from our kids and grandkids before you start taking on all these other things currently under right. consideration? Now, Senator, there's, uh, in, in the absence of the Senate advancing appropriations bills the way they should, you have an opportunity to present this. Is there going to be a vote on this tonight? There will be. And uh, I think uh, Rand Paul has been the other uh, spokesman on uh, this for years. He did one recently that did get 35 Republican votes, more austere, 
in the sense he wanted to do it over six years. That shouldn't be that difficult. That would take just a little bit of sacrifice. This even makes it easier. And then that's where you're going to get only 35 Republicans voted for that when he did it. All Democrats voted against it, along with 15 Republicans. I'm anxious to see if we get a few more Republicans on board. And if not, we really need to be saying, why aren't you, if you're the party of fiscal responsibility and you're not voting for something as easy as this? Absolutely. And uh, we're going to be tracking that vote very closely. And in fact, after that vote and you're able to dissect it, I'd love to talk with you more about that to see how you move forward with the plan. I Someone has to take this up at some point. We have to address our nation's running deficits and the debt that we have. You're right, Tony. And if you don't, uh, it won't be unlike what happens if you don't do this in other arenas. Even though you've got the printing press in the basement here and you are the sovereign currency and you are the federal government, you go through some form of a Chapter 11 and uh, that same process would happen uh, and sadly, the elderly who depend on Social Security and Medicare and those that can't afford health care through Medicaid would suffer the most. Senator, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. As I said, we'll be uh, tracking this uh, very closely. We look forward to talking to you uh, later. My pleasure. Senator Mike Ron of uh, Indiana. You know, we do, as you mentioned, we have the sovereign currency. We're a, we, we have... With that comes some um, privileges, but also responsibilities. And this is, I'm glad someone's taking this on amidst all the other issues. All right, coming up, China has been buying up farmland throughout the country. Is this a national security issue? We talk about it next. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Uh, If you live in Kansas, and I know we have a lot of listeners in Kansas, I'll be there this weekend. Sunday morning, I will be at Central Christian Church in Wichita. And Sunday night, I'll be speaking at uh, uh, Lenexa Baptist Church in Kansas City, Kansas. And uh, we'll be having a pastor's breakfast there the next morning. So if you uh, live in the area, check it out, uh, TonyPerkins.com, service times. And I'd love to see you there. As we discussed on the program earlier this month, the heads of the FBI and the UK's MI5 took the unprecedented step of sharing a stage to send a message on the increasing threat that the Chinese Communist Party poses to the West. Now, one potential threat from China has been found in North Dakota, where Fufong USA, the American subsidiary of a Chinese company, purchased more than 300 acres of farmland including land near the Grand Forks Air Force Base, which is a very strategic Air Force Base. Is this just a, uh, a corn mill, or should we be concerned about the potential for espionage? Joining me to, uh, to talk about this, Senator Kevin Kramer. He serves on five committees, including the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. He represents the state of North Dakota. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity and for raising this important issue. Uh, before we jump into this, how, how are you doing? We know you had an accident uh, later on. A lot of folks were praying for you. How, how are you doing? Yeah, and, and the prayers have worked, Tony. Thank you very much. I, my finger's doing much, much better. Um, most of it's still there, and we expect to hang on to the rest of it. <laughs> well, very good. We're glad to hear it because we want you to have all five. Uh, you need it up there on Capitol Hill. All right, let's talk about this. Um, six states, including North Dakota, have laws banning foreign ownership of farmland. International investors circumvent this by purchasing U.S. corporations to handle such purchases. Is, is that what's happened here, uh, and should we be concerned? Well, I think what's, what's happened here certainly is is an international company um, through an American subsidiary has purchased 370 acres of land, as you say, right in the, in the Red, Red River Valley, very rich farmland, um, but have purchased it to put a corn milling plant. Um, you rightfully point out the the additional challenge of it being 12 miles from the Grand Forks Air Force Base, which is a very important uh, ISR, that's Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance um, Air Base. It's a reconnaissance wing, actually. Um, it flies unmanned aerial vehicles, uh, very sophisticated. Um, and then in addition to that, we just uh, launched a new a space development agency ground station for working satellites uh, in the low Earth orbit. 
And uh, of course, um, there's a lot of in- important data that goes up and down from space to, uh, to Earth uh, at Grand Forks. And um, so that presents an, a, a, an additional challenge. Um, but I think, you, you know, your, your point about the farmland is an important one because setting just aside for a moment, the very obvious concern about um, data links between space and Earth at Grand Forks and the opportunity for the Chinese to do what they do very well, and that is steal and spy. Um, just the fact that the, the Chinese Communist Party is taking up more um, assets in the United States, taking up more farm assets, they already remember during the pandemic, have a major play in America's livestock industry through packing plants. And uh, we saw how the, the vulnerability of that supply chain played out during the pandemic. And, and uh, clearly, when you have one and a half billion people, um, food becomes a national security issue. And when you produce a lot of food, uh, food is already a, a national security issue. So there's lots of things to be concerned about here, Tony. Yeah, I mean, when we look back at COVID and we look at the concern we had over personal protective equipment that China was producing and holding on to, I mean, why would we let them come to our own country, buy up precious farmland that we need to feed our folks as well as use as exports to feed our allies? Well, that's a very important question. I think the answer for me anyway is we shouldn't. And But at the same time, remembering that we exercise private property rights, um, we want our farmers and landowners to be able to do what they want with their own land and be able to take advantage of, of economic opportunities. That said, we are now talking about a national security risk. And food, like energy, like protective uh, equipment that you, you reference, pharmaceutical uh, you know, uh, industry assets, um, energy. There are lots of things. How about chips? How about chips? We're all we're having a big battle in the Senate right. this week over right. uh, chip right. manufacturing. There are a lot of things that a lot of vulnerabilities that were exposed during the pandemic that we need to be very careful to protect as a national security measure. And and certainly, food is is chief among them, and and, and farmland. So, Senator, you sent a letter to the Secretary of Treasury requesting a review of the Fufong Group's purchase. Have you heard anything yet? I have not. Um, I have not heard anything directly, but um, we we stay in regular contact. So the the letter is to uh, the Treasury, the Secretary Janet Yellen, who is the chairman of the what's called CFIUS, the Community, Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States. We've asked them to take a, re, uh, a review of it. We've included Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, who sits on that same committee, along with uh, about 14 other cabinet and White House officials. Um, normally, uh, agricultural transactions are exempt from CFIUS. Uh, they are, in fact, going to take a look at it. And I, I believe that through that review process, which goes rather quickly. I think a lot of concerns are going to be raised by the various agencies, including the Department of Defense. And that should be enough concern to allow the community and the state to um, you know, unravel this transaction and claw back whatever incentives they've offered to, um, to Fufang in order to make the investment in Grand Forks. That, that's my hope. Uh, that's my expectation. And if not, then there'll be an investigation beyond that, perhaps. And that ultimately, the president of the United States does have the authority through CFIUS to unravel uh, a transaction that he believes presents more risk than can be mitigated. And uh, I just don't think it'll have to come to that. Well, you just have to convince him it's a threat to the climate, and then maybe maybe he'll do something. Well, there's only so much I can do. (laughs) 
Senator, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always my pleasure. Thank you, Tony. All right. All right, Senator Kramer from North Dakota. Good guy. All right, uh, by the way, he's got a bill. We ran out of time and wanted to talk with him about him and uh, Congressman Mike Johnson. This is really interesting. It's uh, the Unborn Child Support Act, which provides mothers the ability to receive child support payments while they're pregnant. It makes fathers responsible. I think that we're going we're gonna to talk, probably get Mike on to talk about it. But uh, interesting approach to policy. Hey, don't go away. We're going to be talking about marriage and atheism next on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, including uh, one of my topics I'm going to be talking about here next is the House voting yesterday to redefine marriage. In fact, 47 Republicans joining with that. Now, it's only 22 percent of the Republicans, so it's not a landslide, but it's concerning. And you need to find out where your member of Congress stood on this issue. And if you go to uh, TonyPerkins.com, I've got a list of those 47 Republicans uh, that joined all the Democrats in supporting this uh, codifying of the court's redefinition of marriage. And so if you go to TonyPerkins.com, you'll see it uh, under episode resources. 
And it says, uh, tell the U.S. Senate not to redefine. So you can send a message to your senator and to your member of Congress. All right, last, uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about this. The State Department last year spent $500,000 in taxpayer money, your money, to support the rights of atheists and other non-believers overseas. Whether or not this is even constitutional, it, it certainly fits a pattern with the Biden administration, which has seized upon every opportunity it can to promote um, abortion and the, really kind of an anti-Christian agenda. Joining me now to discuss this, as well as his vote yesterday against the redefinition of marriage, is Congressman Glenn Grothman. He serves on the House Oversight Committee and Reform Committee. He is the uh, on the House Education and Labor Committee, as well as the Budget Committee. He represents the 6th District of Wisconsin. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Glad to be on the show again. Uh, a lot of activity going on here in Washington, and I I would say that the activity of the Biden administration is not kind of, it's it's all the way what I would call anti-God, anti-Christian. I mean, you add up all the things that have been going on here in June, it's just it's just stunning uh, what it's become in this country. And of course, you're talking about a majority party. I mean, you know, um, a clear majority of Americans voted for the Democrats instead of the Republicans uh, in their House races two years ago. I'm not sure if this is what they expected. But it's important that you're doing a good job to at least explain to the public what they're getting for their votes two right. years ago. You, you know, Glenn, I, I mean, having served on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I understand the importance of religious freedom as a foreign policy objective because countries that have religious freedom also have greater economic stability and social stability. So that, I see that. I understand that completely as a foreign policy objective. But how is promoting atheism beneficial? And isn't that really kind of establishing a religion by promoting atheism? Well, Tony, the way I look at it is this. Um, John Adams said that our Constitution is made for a moral and religious people. And clearly God has blessed this country beyond what any other country throughout human history has had. Now, when we begin to send out grants to promote atheism, the grants by itself are horrible, and I'm sure whatever literature these nonprofits come up with will be bad. But just the fact that the United States is sending out these grants, people around the world look up to the United States. They want to say, what is the secret of America's success? Why is it so much? Why is it so much better to live in the United States than Cuba, or Greece, or Ethiopia, or wherever? And when, when the word gets out that the United States is sending out um, grants to people to promote atheism, we're kind of saying the secret to America's success is atheism. Now, in the relatively recent past, uh, you got, get back to the 1960s, only 2% of Americans said they didn't believe in God. That number has now gone up a little bit shy of 20%, which is a, a very disappointing thing for the country. And of course, I'm not talking about 2% of the people who believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about only 2% across the board didn't believe in God. Now we are sending the message that the thing that makes America great is atheism. And I, you, know, you got to ask yourself, what does God think about this? Uh, what does the American public think about it? What are those um, slumbering clergymen of America think about it. Uh, very scary thing. And of course, it's not uh, the only values that we're promoting abroad. There are other values that I think are questionable as well. Yeah. Well, I want to, I, I want to 
kind of build on that because first off, I want to commend you for your leadership that you've shown defending natural marriage between a man and a woman. You voted uh, to defend that yesterday. And, and as we talk about religious freedom abroad, you have to see that the redefinition of marriage is an attack on religious freedom at home. How is it that some of your colleagues don't seem to see that? Well, I think what's happening is we have my colleagues, particularly the closer the district, the more likely you're going to find colleagues like that. Uh, you're going to find that because I believe the clergymen of this country have been asleep, uh, they believe it is the only way to get reelected, if not this time in the future. And I think a lot of them are making a political calculation and saying, well, the churches are kind of slumbering asleep. The popular culture is pushing more and more people to approve the uh, the gay lifestyle. And therefore, politically, the way I'm going to keep my job is I'm going to vote um, that I, I respect or affirm gay marriage, which, of course, is something that would have been unheard of 40 years ago. But I think they are weighing up, you know, who's going to win this fight? Is it going to be the Christian churches or, or religion in general? Or is it going to be won by the, the atheists we just talked about? the type of people who are running Disneyland or running Hollywood and that sort of thing. And I think these politicians, some of which are not stupid at all, stupid people normally, are, are making the political calculation that the churches will continue to be asleep and that, um, that two or four or six years from now, as their political career progresses, it would have been advantageous to side with the gay lobby. Uh, Glenn, you may be right, and the the church may slumber, but God does not. And I I think I would always choose, as you did, to stand uh, on the side of truth. Uh, Out of time, I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Again, appreciate your leadership on Capitol Hill. Well, glad to to be on the show again, and we'll, we'll have to talk again soon. All right. All right, folks, stick with us. We're coming back on the other side of the break with more Washington. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at standcourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. 
That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. And uh, by the way, if you'd like to contact your member of Congress, uh, at least those who voted against marriage, go to frcaction.org slash marriage. We made it very easy for you. Just put in your information. You can send them a message. Okay, that's frcaction.org slash marriage. We've been uh, discussing President Biden delivering a speech today focused on the environment. He was in uh, Massachusetts. He made his intentions clear that he is considering declaring a national climate emergency this summer, a clear attempt to satisfy his left-wing base as his uh, environmental agenda has stalled in Congress. So my message today is this. Since Congress is not acting as it should, I said last week, and I'll say it again loud and clear. As president, I'll use my executive powers to combat climate, the climate crisis in the absence of congressional action. Well, it could be Congress isn't acting because only 1% of Americans actually think it is the number one issue. Most are concerned about inflation caused by his own disastrous policies, uh, energy crisis that we're facing, again, because of his own energy policy. Now the president is looking for ways to make inflation and energy prices worse. Join me now to talk about this and more is Myron Ebel. He is the director of the Competitive Enterprise Institute Center for Energy and Environment. Myron, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, let's start with uh, what do you think of the president's speech today? Well, there wasn't much in it. Uh, he went to what looked like a, an empty field where there used to be a coal-fired power plant and said that he, uh, that climate change was a clear and present danger, and if Congress wouldn't act, he would, as you said. And you already stole my line. 1% of the American people, according to the New, a New York Times poll, think it's the, the number one issue. Uh, uh, many, many more people are concerned with raising energy, rising energy prices. And of course, the actions that he may take unilaterally without Congress enacting these policies are going to lead to higher energy prices, not lower. So, as you said, he's playing to his base uh, and uh, he's against the interests of the American people, which are for a, a fun, a affordable and abundant energy, not, not climate policies that make energy more expensive and Americans poorer. 
Yeah, let's talk about that, Myron, because, you know, what he continues to say repeatedly when he talks about his agenda is that they want to help Americans. In fact, part of this, uh, Democrats, uh, you know, part of his plan that has been stalled is they wanted to invest more than $500 billion in new programs to cut emissions and support new technologies, including electric vehicles. But fortunately, uh, Senator Manchin has blocked that. But in order to Before I get to that, how we cut emissions, let's talk about that for just a moment and how America, corporations, coal energy plants, others, have cut emissions. How cleaner is our air today than it was 50 years ago? Well, it's a lot cleaner uh, due to to, uh, actions taken, uh, a lot of them just taken for good business reasons. Some of them taken because the EPA requires lower pollution levels. Uh, but the fact is, Tony, uh, America has very clean air, even though we still produce a lot of our power from fossil fuels, from coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, the Department of Energy reported that in 2021, 79% of all energy came from coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, most of the rest came from nuclear power and hydropower, and a little of it came from so-called green energy. Uh, and green energy is more expensive. Uh, it's less reliable, uh, and uh, it's going to continue to be more expensive, despite what uh, the so-called experts in the administration and from the environmental pressure group say, and from the and from the green energy industry. Uh, it's more expensive because the wind doesn't blow all the time, and the sun only shines half the day, and therefore you have to have a backup system in place all the time to provide energy when wind and solar aren't providing energy. You could just say, hey, why don't we just use the backup system all the time and save a lot of money? So our environment's in good shape. We have clean air, and yet 79% of our energy still comes from coal, oil, and natural gas. Well, you made that comment kind of in passing, but I mean, Look, I'm I'm not against using renewables. I mean, I think it's you know if you got wind, use it. You know, we got plenty in D.C., but that's a different kind of wind. Uh, you've got you know when the sun's shining, hey, make hay, make uh, make electricity if you can. But shouldn't that be like extra capacity? I mean, shouldn't we use that on top of what we already have? Since we're using technology to clean our air, and that our technology is making our pro- our process of uh, using natural resources more efficient and effective why don't we just keep doing that and add to it and our expansion be in these renewables yeah well yes there's a place for renewable energy of all types uh, but it, it it needs to make economic sense what we've been doing in this country is states have been passing renewable mandates that tell the uh, electric companies that they have to produce a certain amount of power and then taxpayers subsidize that power through the federal production tax credit and the investment tax credit. So uh, there would be a lot less wind and solar if it were done on a, a sensible economic basis. Um, right. So, you know, the, the problem here is that the United States has massive reserves of energy. And President Biden and the, the climate racket are saying, let's lock those up. We have the world's largest right. reserves of coal. With with oil, we have massive reserves and, and gas because of the shale revolution. We're just gonna right. we're just gonna say let's use more expensive forms of energy while we have these massive reserves. It doesn't make any sense. No, I, I agree with you. 
So, so Myron, the, the thing basically saying is that the, the renewables are not ready for prime time. Uh, they're not, That's we're not ready. We're not ready That's to right. use those as our main source. And so what, but what the Biden administration is trying to do, what it looks like they're trying to do, I don't know, looks like they're trying to do, is kind of drive up the cost of our fossil fuels so that, you know, just like Buttigieg, the DOD, the Department of Transportation secretary saying, well, you know, I know it's bad, but this is helping people drive electric cars. Well, I can't afford an electric car. Most Americans can't afford an electric car. Um, so I think yeah, it's like no, we're got forcing exactly this right. thing to work. Yeah, no, you've got it exactly right. They're trying to limit the production of coal, oil and gas, drive up the price and make people think that the alternative is is a good deal. Uh, and so, you know, there's nothing wrong with electric vehicles, but let consumers decide when they want to get an electric yeah. vehicle, not when the Department of Transportation or the Biden administration say you must buy an electric vehicle. The, uh, these things will enter the market when the when the technology and the innovations make it attractive for consumers. But the government, you know, President Biden thinks he knows best. And uh he ought to really be able to control your life. And I think Secretary Buttigieg is a, is a close disciple of that view. So I, I you know, I wonder, doesn't free, it seems like free markets work better than planned economies based upon what we've seen in history. But I, I don't know, I could be mistaken. Myron, uh, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for, uh, for stopping by today. Thank you, Tony. Look, folks, it, it, it's real simple. Look, I'm all for renewable energies, wind, sun, whatever. But let's let technology catch up with it. What we're doing is we're hurting families by forcing this. And all this thing about the, you know, how we're destroying the economy. We have improved, I'm not the economy, the environment. We've improved. We've actually improved. And by the way, President Biden can't even save his own party. How's he going to save the world? All right. But here's something else I want us to talk about here is this use of executive power, which is really circumventing something that historically our nation works on, legislative consensus. And so we're seeing this increasingly. You know, the 1976 Emergency Power Act empowers the president to activate special powers during a crisis. But everything can't be a crisis. And we're seeing this more and more. So what's behind it? Joining me now to talk about this is Andy McCarthy. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. He joins us by phone. Andy, welcome back to the program. Tony, great to be with you. Okay, uh, is it just me or are we seeing this use of executive power and emergency powers more frequently today? Well, we've seen it actually. uh, It's more notable, I think, today because the Supreme Court uh, is more likely to, to take challenges on an emergency basis, and it's become more routine for people to kind of run into court uh, and try to get these executive orders overturned. Um, but it actually is a dysfunction of our law, Tony, that goes back decades. And I think it's part of an overall trend of Congress essentially abdicating its responsibilities. It it abdicates some to the court, some to the bureaucracy, and some to the executive branch along with the uh, administrative state. And what it does, it's not just that one uh, statute, which is the most important one uh, that you just mentioned. There's about 130 emergency statutes in our law 
uh, which make it possible for the president to, in federal law, which make it possible for the president to invoke emergency powers for this, that, and the other reason. And then those have been expanded by the executive branch over the years. So, for example, Biden's favorite one uh, has become the Defense Production Act. He declares emergencies under the Defense Production Act and does all kinds of stuff, even though, you know, we're not at war. Um, we're not in a situation where, uh, you know, the ramp up that the Defense Production Act uh, referred to and is kind of a response to uh, is the, the famous uh, steel seizure situation in the in the Korean War, where basically the Supreme Court said that Truman couldn't nationalize the, the steel industry. Right. And that led to some uh, consideration of how much a president in a, in a case of a true emergency, uh, should be able to marshal uh, the capacities of the government to respond to the emergency. But obviously something that began with good intentions has gotten way out of whack. Well, it almost appears, Andy, as Congress has really given its authority to both the president and to the courts, that that's why I think we see most uh, most issues being decided either by executive action or then going to the courts. Congress, while they make a lot of noise, really, they're not doing a whole lot because they've given their authority away. No, that's exactly right. They seem to think more and more that their job is to, you know, basically abdicate their authority or delegate it and then go on cable TV and complain how bad things are. But I think what we saw at the end of the Supreme Court's term uh, particularly the EPA case that it, that it decided, I think, the last day of the term, right, is right, the court trying to sort of sort of restore constitutional order by um, climbing onto this idea of uh, major questions. So, in other words, what the, what the court is now saying is, if the bureaucracy, and that would include the executive bureaucracy, obviously. If it wants to try to enact policy that is going to work a major change in, for example, the, the relationship between the individual and the state or the relationship between the, the sovereign states and the federal government, the bureaucracy is going to have to show that Congress enacted a provision that specifically allowed that. They're not going to be able to stitch together, you know, like in, in – with the courts, they did it with uh, emanations from penumbras, right? Um, right, right you're not going right. to be able to stitch together a bunch of uh, regulatory provisions and figure they have uh, penumbras too, uh, and right. and craft out of that, you know, a a regulation or an interpretation of a regulation that allows you to make sweeping changes. Uh, so I so think it that seems does like this give us. Yeah, I was just going to say, it seems like this court is actually trying to put authority back to where it belongs as to the Constitution, because even in the Dobbs case, what the court was saying, this isn't ours to decide. This goes back to the legislative bodies to decide. But honestly, most of those legislators, at least Congress, really hasn't wanted to deal with that issue. They, they would like to sidestep those hard issues because it's politically risky. Yes, that's exactly right. They're elected to be accountable, and then being accountable is the last thing they want. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that this was sort of thematically what we saw from the court in this term, because I think they're being accused, especially the what I regard as the constitutional conservative block of the court, has been accused of usurping authority. And I think what they've done is quite the opposite. They're trying to restore the constitutional boundaries. And if anything, they've divested the court of authority 
uh, and yeah. giving it back, whether to the states or to Congress or wherever it's properly exercised. So very quickly, we've got 30 seconds left, Andy, but should Congress take a look at some of these um, statutes that have given away authority to the executive branch and take back that authority that's theirs under the Constitution? I think they absolutely should, Tony, because, you know, we're in a modern era where Congress can, uh, on a dime, convene, right? We're not talking about an era anymore where, you know, Congress is uh, weeks away from Washington and the president has to be able to react to crises. There's no reason that we have to act like we're in a constant emergency when we can react to emergencies. Right, right. Andy McCarthy, always great to talk with you. I uh, always appreciate your insight and understanding of the process. Thanks so much, Tony. Appreciate it. All right, uh, Andy McCarthy. Uh, You know, I've seen this for a long time, is that Congress really, it's like a hot potato. They would rather the administrative state and the courts decide a lot of this. And look, I'm speaking very broadly. There are many men and women in Congress that are frustrated for the same reason. They want to take on these issues. All the more reason we need to be praying for them and pray for more of them and support those who will take on the responsibility that the Constitution gives to the Congress and hold the executive branch and the courts in check. That's what the system of balance, checks and balances are, three branches. All right, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, Keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.